0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, guys. It's MMA fighter Chael Sonnen. Check out my podcast, You're Welcome, with Chael Sonnen, every Wednesday and Friday right here at Podcast One. We cover the latest in mixed martial arts and everything else going on in the world of sport. Listen free to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen, exclusively available at podcastone.com and on the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and reveal it.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio, I am Daniel Rui, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I had been thinking about doing a Tears episode of the podcast, and thankfully my frequent guest on that, Matt Moore of the Action Network, was generous enough with his time, and so we put in the time and it was a lot of fun and also a big challenge to really put all of this together right now that's part of the reason why i wanted to do it is to really think about okay where are these teams right now and sure there are moves that could still happen but where are they right now and it was a great exercise this week's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag use that podcast one promo code for a 50 percent welcome bonus episode runs it's about an hour 20 and great conversation we touch on all 30 teams not as long on every team but defining championship contenders defining playoff teams all that kind of stuff and and where we drew the lines and how we define the lines all of those things were really particularly interesting and challenging this time around i hope you enjoy listening to it as as much as as we enjoyed make having the conversation thank you so much for coming on thanks for having me man love doing this podcast one of my favorites this was a particularly I, i would say it was both challenging and fulfilling exercise because really this was the first time that I put mental pen to paper and said, okay, who is on these teams? Not, not, you know, like drawing out rotations or anything like that, but just really piecing together not only who is on which team, but how to really compare them. And as we've done pretty much every time with this, thinking about it as a whole league exercise. I think is really good because it also reminded me of the conference disparity, which is still notable this year. It's a little bit different in some ways, and we'll talk about that. But really, OK, like how how do we draw the lines of division when it seems like everyone has changed?
0: Yeah, it's there's just so much upheaval and the fact everyone's really focused on uh, the parody for good reason, that there's been such kind of a rebalancing of the NBA. And obviously when we've done this, this podcast in the past, like last year when we were doing this, there was always like the sense of, okay, there's, there's one team, maybe two at the top. Uh, there's a couple of teams that we can throw into the contenders category. And then I look at this one. Um, and it's last year was so backloaded in terms of the tiers would get bigger. It was like a pyramid where you had very few teams at the top and it goes down mine this year. Uh, is honestly a lot more like an hourglass um, where there's a lot at the top, there's a little bit in the middle and there's a little bit and there's a wider base at the bottom um, that kind of tails off towards the very very end of it because I don't think there's gonna be that many bad teams. That's one of the things I think is really interesting about this is, is as a product of the kind of rebalancing and where we're at right now this may change when we actually get to playing the games, but from where the perspective we have right now, it seems like there are no really super dominant teams. There's a lot of teams that are going to have vulnerabilities and there aren't a lot of this team is completely miserable. I have zero interest in watching them this year is a complete waste. Um, even relative to most years when we're always optimistic about preseason, um, you you, know, you do this long enough. You're like, okay, it, it sounds fun, but they're going to be terrible. I've only got uh, four teams that are really at the bottom of my tiers.
1: That's a really good point and what it made me think of is there's a difference between best case scenario and a reasonable expected scenario. So, for example, there are teams every year where you say, "Hey, if like I could you could draw an argument like maybe Phoenix last year here, like if everything goes well, if Devin Booker takes a jump, if everybody else does well, maybe they can be on the like on the fringes of the playoff picture." For me, this year is a little bit different as of right now. Because for a lot of these teams, I don't think it is as outlandish a scenario. It is, you know, it is still above 50% for a lot of these teams. It's above, you know, let's say the 75% outcome for a bunch of them. Like Sacramento, I think is a great example here. I don't expect Sacramento to make the playoffs this year, but they could. Like it is it is within the realm of possibility. And a big part of the reason why I don't expect them to is because they play in the West. But the argument for Sacramento, the argument for Chicago, for a lot of these teams, I think it's more it's it's simpler. It's it's a little bit clearer than before. It's not as rosy at, like it doesn't require rosiness like it did in in prior years. And and I think that's a really good thing for the league.
0: Yeah, and obviously we're going to have the team that was supposed to be good and just nothing went right for them, and, and everything fell apart. And we're going to have the team that we're like, they're going to be terrible, and they went up pretty pretty good. Like last year, uh, I was really low on the Kings. I was just like, the Kings are going to be bad. They're always bad. Because like I bought in the year before, and they were terrible. So I was like, I'm not doing that again. And then they were really good last year. Um, there will be those kind of teams that make jumps and then kind of fall back. What I'm actually more expecting is a little bit of regression from last year's teams that had really good seasons. A lot of people, I think, are banking on continuity. I'm not as much. I think that continuity is going to provide stability and not necessarily top-tier performance. Uh, And then the other thing you mentioned in there about like making the playoffs, I think the bar is going to be a lot more attainable this year because I think that um, the competition level will be higher, but I also think that uh, that's also going to mean that you're not going to have to chase the numbers that you used to. I don't think in the West you have to get to 50 wins anymore. I think that you have to get to like 45, and you're going to be at least in the picture. And, and most teams were at that point last year anyway. But like, if you get to 45, you I think you'll feel pretty good about making the playoffs in the West. And if you win 45 in the East, you're probably a six seed. So like, it's just a lot more attainable now that if you're able to play 500 ball and then have one stretch where you you win 10 of 20 or, or 10 of 15 rather, you're probably good. Like you're that's probably going to get get you in. And so all the numbers for being able to make it. I think are difficult. That's that I think it's going to be also fascinating to watch is like, who's going to tank? Like who is, who is going to, because I think if if you're going to tank this year, you're going to have to really try. You're going to have to be like, all right, we have to pull everybody because the teams I think are too good. Otherwise for them to be in position to do so.
1: Yeah. And, and, and for let's call it tanking for, for those purposes, another important differentiator is when do you take your foot off the accelerator? And I think that's going to be a big question too, because Even though the lottery odds have been balanced a little bit and everything like that, there are still incentives to having the sixth worst record as opposed to the tenth worst worst record. And so how long do these teams think that they're in it? And it ties in with something – I haven't written about this yet, but I've been thinking about it over the last two weeks that – I did this this piece last year and I think I might just write it every year now about how the trade deadline getting moved up because they didn't want guys getting moved during All-Star weekend and all that kind of stuff – I think this is another year where that's going to be a real complication because in both conferences not only are there a lot of teams that are optimistic but as you said if the lines get a little bit lower there are going to be fewer sellers and possibly significantly fewer sellers and that can affect the whole market you know and and then so that could lead to a more robust buyout market and this is also an unusual year because basically every really good team, maybe with one exception, which we'll talk about, they could use rotation players. Like, you know, so this is a very different year. So let's say, I don't know why this is the example I'm thinking, but let's say Andre Guadalla ends up, let's say Memphis trades him to a team that thinks they might be competitive. And, you know, that idea rather, rather than just waving him and maybe they give up a small asset. And for Memphis, that would be a fantastic piece of business because they got a first round pick for him and then they would get maybe a modest asset in exchange for him for, to, to send a away. So let's say that team thinks that Iguodala is you know they're they're playing th- they're playing out the string and in early February they think we're still in it and then maybe by the buyout deadline they they realize this and so I think that my my current theory of things is that there will be some teams that aren't sellers at the deadline that become buyout teams and then the huge benefit there are these really good teams that have minutes to offer
0: yeah I think that's a that's a really good working theory um, Memphis is I think a really interesting case. Uh, all on its own because um, I asked this morning on Twitter, I was like, who's going to have, who's got the worst roster right now, uh, Dallas or Memphis? Like, who's going to have, a, a you know, who's going to win more games? And 86% said Dallas, and that makes sense. Like, Dallas uh, on surface is a lot better, but you look at it and it's like, all right, you got Luka. Uh, we don't know what condition KP is going to be ba- back in or what kind of player he's going to be or his long term health or anything, but KP's obviously the second best player of all those listed. And then after that, it's like, okay, Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, uh, J.J. Barea, Seth Curry. Like, There's just – like the Mavericks, when I actually looked at – when you talked about having to figure out who everybody's on, I when I opened up Dallas' roster page to kind of orient myself, I expected them to be a lot better and then was like, hmm, that – no, that's – there's a lot of question marks on this. But then Memphis, they've got young guys. They've got JV, who I think is really good. I was low on him for so many years. I think he's really good now. Um, I love the Tyus Jones addition, uh, but there's a, a large swath of the rotation that I'm just like, ooh, I don't know if that guy's an NBA player or not. That's so much of, of how I wind up determining these teams for the NBA regular season because we get caught on uh, potential and skill set and capability, and I started reorienting myself to – Trying to understand how teams are going to perform in the regular season behind how many guys do they have that I know are going to be in the league in a year and a half. Like I know for certain these guys are all going to be in the league uh, a year and a half in the future. It's one of the reasons that I'm higher on Charlotte than almost everybody. I'm not saying they're a playoff team, but I don't think that they're going to be the worst team in the league. Is because I look up and down. And I'm like, look, you can think Nick Batum is like sucks for his contract level or uh what he was he needed Kemba needed from him or what charlotte needed or etc but nick batum's an nba player like nick batum if he wants to will be in the league in a year and a half michael k gilchrist will be in the league in a year and a half cody zeller will be in the league in a year and a half and a lot of these teams you look at him and you're like oh i don't know about that i he he may not be around in 18 months and so um That, I think, is also kind of part of the the performance. But Memphis, I do expect to kind of be, like, I have Memphis a little bit one tier above. I think by the end of the season, Memphis will be bottom tier because they're going to have to tank in order to try and keep that pick away from Boston. And in order to do so, they're going to have to not play the young guys that are good. And that's going to be a really awkward tanking job. They're going to have to figure out some creative injuries to get these guys off the court.
1: Definitely a reasonable concept with Memphis. My note of caution there is that young players, even if they're talented, like I when I watched the film with John Moran, I was extremely impressed. Yeah. Young players, at position, especially at positions of, of importance like point guard, generally are negative early in their careers. And I mean, there are a lot of good examples, and there are exceptions, obviously. So I think Memphis is actually, they'll be okay on that idea just because they're going to be so young, and they're going to rely a lot on their young guys. But they have a lot of, as you said, a lot of capable players. Valanchunas, Iguodolofy's still on the roster. Jay Crowder is is still on this team. And I think that how those coaches, how those front offices and, and ownership groups, because remember everybody's put it the owners can often put their thumbs on the scale here, and it can shift based on how the first month or two of the season go. So yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. But I think we can use that as a way to transition. I I think this is a, a podcast to, to start at the top rather than the bottom, as interesting as the bottom is. And how I drew out the first two tiers was whether I thought that the case for them to be a championship team was straightforward or whether it was reasonable. And so a straightforward one means, as constructed right now, it passes the smell test for me. Like, okay, I can see that. It might I'm, That doesn't necessarily mean I think they're super likely, but it means it makes intuitive sense to me. And then the reasonable ones, it's like, I could see it, but to me, the most likely thing is a little bit short of that. And so that was... It, it would that there are a lot of different ways that you could draw it. I focused more on that than regular season, though, I, and, and I'll talk about why why I think those two things are very different this year. But that was how I did it. How did you kind of draw out the first couple
0: tiers? Um, there's kind of like three tiers of the the top of the league, and then like a, a very short middle, like I mentioned, and then the, the back half. Um, the top tier, I separated it into pretty much the same thing that you did, which is uh the top tier i labeled we know we can do it like they know if we stay healthy if we play to potential if we play together if we don't have any sort of you know catastrophe strike us uh and if we do what we're capable of we can win the title and that's a and that is a valid construct that's not just like optimism or confidence as so often is the case in the nba that they actually are like we know we can do this um the second tier is what i labeled very much yes but and that's they might think they can do it, but there's a real reason to think like, well, I don't know. Like there is a major nagging question. They both have the same issue, which we can get into. And then the third tier was like the just good teams like the OK. Um, I know these are these teams are going to be in the playoffs. I know they're going to play good basketball. I know that they're going to have good nights and good stretches and good weeks. And their fans are probably going to get going to focus more on their what their best case scenario is than the problems of their worst um, they're gonna have what I think are good seasons. They're not gonna have great seasons, but they're gonna have good. And so that that's the kind of separation. What's shocking to me is that the top tier I have six teams. I have six teams. A fifth of the league is in my they know they can win the title. Two teams wow. are yeah. Two teams are in the yes but uh, and, uh, I've got five teams in the, they're just good. Six teams, rather. Six teams in oh, just good.
1: That, that's really interesting. And I'll lay out my, because since we're, so, so we're kind of lining up the general areas. So what I have is straightforward title case, reasonable title case. And then I think they're kind of an out, we're, we're splitting it a little bit differently, but then I have a group, what I call definite top half. And so what that means is I started, I'm like, okay, where are the lines going to be? And I said, okay, these teams are, I, I, I don't, I have full confidence that they're going to be. Among the 15 best teams in the league, I was using net rating, but you can really use whatever here. And But I don't see them as having a really great shot of winning a championship. I'm guessing those teams are going to run into some of your other tiers. And then I did probable top half, which is, you know, more that's more likely than not. And I, and I was happy. So that was the theory that I had. And then when I counted it out those tiers so going to probable top half that was 14 and so i'm like okay so that means like that's kind of where i'm seeing that line of division but let's start at the top and okay so this is so you said you have six teams in the first tier yes okay i want it i want you to lay those out and then i'll tell you how many of those are in because i have six teams in my first two and also i want to see how much overlaps
0: okay The we know we can do it here these teams uh, know they can win the title the los angeles clippers Uh, The Philadelphia 76ers, the Houston Rockets, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Golden State Warriors, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Those are my six teams that I feel will legitimately believe that they can win the title next year, at least by the end of the season, I think, in the case of the Warriors most notably they're very close i
1: don't have the warriors in this partially because they're just so uncertain but i understand the logic there and especially if we're fast forwarding to let's say march 15th then a lot of that stuff if clay's back by that point a lot of if they're in the picture then we can get it, we can get into that and their depth stuff is interesting so the only team that was different is i don't have the warriors in this group and in my second tier, what I called the reasonable title case, I have the Denver Nuggets. And the Nuggets were a really tough team for me. They're, in some ways, they're prototypical of what I defined as definite top half of like those teams that are going to be good, but I don't necessarily think they're going to win title. But I respect the growth that they've had and the idea that the West is a little bit different now. And I think that Jokic's. You know, maybe some of his a little yeah, I thought he played better in the playoffs than I expected, but I also think that the league is moving towards them a little bit in that the switch everything idea that was so necessary against the Warriors, I don't think that stuff is going to matter as much anymore. There aren't there isn't a team that's constructed in quite the same way, and I think that Denver might benefit from that more than a lot of these other teams. And so even though I am still ambivalent in many of the same ways that I was about them being a championship team as opposed to a really good team, which I'm pretty confident they will be, but that's what pushed me to to put them a little bit higher than I would have, let's say, in April of last year
0: or this year. They're fascinating. I know I could tell you right now they're going to go into camp. And for the first time since uh, I've been there, the word title is going to be used in media day. Uh, last year it was playoffs and win the division they felt that if they won the division, they would get a high enough seed to have home court. They were correct. Uh, and on many levels, um, they did what they needed to do. Uh, in that regard, uh, they will go into the season believing that they can win the NBA championship. I have them in the second tier. Uh, the two teams in my very much. Yes. But, and I, I, I after I am done, I definitely want to hear about this other team. I have the nuggets, but I also have the jazz. Uh, those are the two. I, teams. I get
1: that. I get that. They were they were two teams that I had trouble separating as well, and oh. you did separate, and I had trouble with it because even though they're constructed differently, in some ways the theory is actually pretty similar in terms of right. like are they are they like a championship team and the, the but I guess is where you're getting at with that.
0: Yeah. So it's what, here's what what's fascinating is okay with with Utah. Um, I loved everything they did this off season. I hated how constrained they were by their personnel last year where it was like you can tell that they had good schemes and played together and were well coached and had the talent and donovan mitchell and rudy gobert are really good and joe ingles does his thing and it's all wor- like there's something that can work there but donovan wasn't quite there and they needed a point guard that could actually shoot and rubio just murdered them with turnovers and his inability to shoot and it just they schemed against them like memphis beat them twice early on in the season just by playing drop scheme well it was just marcus all being like i'm not I'm not going to let you have the lob. You can do whatever you want. I'm not going to let you have the lob. And when that happened, the the Jazz were just like, well, we don't have anything else we can do. And now they have all these things they can do with Bojan Bogdanovich and with Mike Conley. Um, They've got so much flexibility, and Ed Davis does a lot of what Derek Favors did, just not as well. And that's a good fill-in. And Gobert will benefit from it. I think Donovan Mitchell takes a leap. The question for me is like, all right, they're in a game six. They're on the road versus the Lakers. It's halftime. It's they're up or down three points. It's a close game. LeBron started to heat up. He took off the first quarter and just kind of felt his way in. And he got going in the second. It's beginning to be a bit of a problem who is going to get going to step in and take over for that team who is going to be the guys going to be like i'm carrying you i am going to carry you in this game because mike's got too many responsibilities i don't know if boyan can do that ingles is a no rudy can't create offense on his own and then it all comes down to donovan now if donovan hits a a level above if donovan mitchell plays if he bounces back from a sophomore slump and he comes into camp in in great shape and is healthy all season and is add like is more efficient and more comfortable, which I think is definitely possible, he can be the thing that vaults them into that top group. Versus with the Nuggets, like I don't have questions about who's the guy in the playoffs because Jokic was that time and time again. Like He carried them. He was insane in the playoffs. He was so much better than I thought he would be. I had so many questions about Nikola Jokic in the playoffs, and he answered all of them. Um, but with Denver, it's, do you have a guy that's going to be able to get you the bucket that you need? Because in a lot of times they needed Jamal Murray to like step up and be the guy and Jamal is so ready to be that guy that it hurts him he won't make the right play he doesn't make the right sequence you can't have a team that's built around the overall strength of components around Nikola Jokic and then in the most crucial moments turn it into this guy's going to go get you a bucket like you have to play within the system and Jamal doesn't have that mindset right now and so like i have these questions about like are they going to be able to step up that game seven was a huge opportunity for them versus portland to take another step forward and it's okay because they already won one game seven versus san antonio they took a bunch of steps last season but until they get to that and and show that they have an answer for that i have to be a little bit concerned about their ability to get past the lakers the clippers etc because i know all those guys have guys that are ready to step in and make the plays at that moment um we should probably talk about the top top level again just for a little bit considering those are like the title teams that we think
1: right and so uh, we can we can talk about this because i drew i drew a a line a separating line that you did not and it was hard but for for me the, the three teams that i thought had the more straightforward arguments were the bucks the clippers and the one that shocked me the lakers and the bucks it's It's right there. I mean, I think they're going to be the best team in the regular season, and losing Brogdon, I'm going to talk about that a lot this year. I think that's really going to hurt them, but they didn't have him for the whole regular—you know, he he was only a part of the regular season, and they have ways they can improve. Giannis is incredible. He could be even better next year. So— and and they're a, they're a talented playoff team. I do think that some of their, their flaws are there. The Clippers, I think this is in some ways the easiest case just because they have a deep team, they have a talented team, but their regular season record might be a little toned down just if Paul George is making his way back or maybe even not healthy to start the year. And then the team that was challenging for me in, was the Lakers because I'm a believer in LeBron and Anthony Davis. I'm not necessarily a believer that the Lakers can... Get to the so the idea behind for me a team that would be a, a straightforward title team is you have to be elite on one end and you have to be at least very good on the other. That's really the way this has worked in in recent years. And so the Lakers being an elite offense doesn't take any stretch of the imagination. They have LeBron James. They have a lot of offensive talent. Defensively, yeah, it require requires a little bit of a stretch. But when I was really trying to se- put so what I did was I had all the these other six teams: the Bucks, the Clippers, the the Sixers, the Nuggets, and the Rockets. And I said which which place do the Lakers feel, like, in my gut, do they feel more aligned with? And I just I just felt like they were more in this group than with the Sixers, Nuggets, and
0: Rockets. That's interesting. I mean, that's that's interesting. Like, I like a lot of what they did. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting is, where do you have the Sixers? So I have them fourth. I have them in the next tier, in
1: the reasonable but not straightforward. And the reason why is I'm just not totally sold on their offense yet. I just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having guys that, that can't shoot, having... So their, their defense is going to be just straight filthy. But then the other reason why I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the Sixers at this point, and this is something that I hope and expect will resolve after the years— I don't think they necessarily have enough looks yet. You know, like they, I, I really like their starting five. I like a lot of things that they can do, but they don't really have, you know, let's say a meaningfully, like a really different type of player that they could plug in and then pull out one other guy just to make a different group that has some some more prominent strengths and weaknesses. You know, like that's sort of an idea. I That's something I love about the Clippers actually, is that the Clippers have all of these different players. So if they want to go with, Beverly and go with like some of these really like more defensive capable units. They could do it. They the center is still a little dicey, but everything everywhere else, I think they could do it. And that's why I love getting Jermichael Green back. But with the Sixers, I like where they are, but I just think they need to to add a little bit more to kind of flesh this team out.
0: I'm betting on the Sixers. Uh, I have gone all in on Philly. I was I was not in on them last year all regular season. Um, I thought the Nets were going to have a real chance at least pushing them, and they answered that call, even though there's a few things in that series. That well, can- I mean, the Nets did have a real chance in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I expected the Raptors to really handle them in round two, and when they didn't, it both spurred my doubt in the Raptors, which hurt me later. Uh, uh, and it gave me a lot of confidence in the Sixers. Like I, they proved a lot to me in that second-round series. Um, a lot of what I'm banking on is I think there will be one year. It may only be one, but there will be one year where Embiid's body is there for him, where he, he manages it. He'll miss the, the uh, usual number of games, 10-plus probably, um, but they will be so good in the games he plays. One of the things that I like that they did is you mentioned like they don't have a different look. I like that they went the other way, and are, th- this whole offseason, I look at and say, they basically are like, Joel Embiid's our best player, and we're doing everything around him. Like, uh, Richardson can shoot and make some plays off of him, and B learned a lot in the playoffs about how to manage the double team and how to pass out of it without turning the ball over, which was a weakness for him last year. I thought Simmons picked up a few things in terms of, okay, if they're going to play me this way, here's how I can counter, or even if I can't be... Impact in our half court offense, I can still make things happen. Like, he did a lot of stuff and actually showed me quite a bit. Like, losing Reddick hurts, but they did get Richardson. They kept Tobias Harris. I think overall, uh, and was Zaire, I think playing more for them, I think they have a real capability to take a step forward by having a very clear identity. They're no longer trying to, for it to be like, Oh no, like it's Ben and Joel and and uh, Tobias and Jimmy. It's very clearly like, no, it's Joel with Ben and Tobias and then the other guys. And I think that formula will actually benefit them quite a bit. And I think that, that if Embiid's, like I'm basically saying, like I'm willing to bet on Embiid's body this year. And if I bet on Embiid's body this year and, it, and I, that bet comes through, he's so dominant, he can lift them to another level and the East is weaker than the West and they've got a real shot at getting to the finals and then they only get, you know, depending on the matchup, I think that that works really well. Um, the Lakers are actually the team that I think I had the most questions about of this top tier. Like I put them in because I was like, okay, LeBron, check, AD, check. Uh, I don't love that combination as most people, as much as most people do. Um, it's obviously a lot of talent and an inc- like all time talent, but LeBron's never been a pick and pop guy. He's never been great at passing to the pick and pop. Like, Bosh got a lot of his buckets out of that in Miami off of Wade and off of Chalmers. It wasn't necessarily LeBron running pick and roll with Bosh over and over again. Um he never really did that with Kevin Love, which was super infuriating. That they just didn't use that as a weapon. Like LeBron should have run pick and pop with Kevin Love 50 times a game and they just didn't. They just didn't do that. Um so like I have to see him actually adapt Davis's talent to believe that that he's going to do that. But It's still LeBron James and Anthony Davis, LeBron coming off a full year of rest, despite, you know, outside of whatever strenuous activity Space Jam requires of him. Um, And then uh, they brought back some of the guys from last year I didn't like, but they did add Jared Dudley. They did add Troy Daniels, who's a shooter. Um, They added capable guys that are like, okay, these are these are good role players. Like these are guys that. I have a little bit more faith in that are going to make smarter decisions that are efficiency centric. They had a good enough offseason for me to believe that the top level talent will get them to title contention status. But I don't I think that they're one of the more vulnerable teams, even amongst a team, a tier that's all full of like, well, they could win, but they could not win. Um, The Clippers, I think, are interesting in that like we're all like, oh, they're just going to be really good. Um, I'm trying trying to figure out what their weakness is going to be. And it's either going to be really glaring or there's not going to be one. And that's, those are the two outcomes I'm kind of looking at for the Clippers.
1: For me, it's interior defense, you know, like they have, they have so many guys. Kawhi is amazing. And, and Kawhi and Paul George, I think are both a little bit overrated defensively in the regular season, but they're both really high end guys that can put it together in the playoffs. But I'm not completely sold on Harrell, Zubach or even, and I said, I like Jermichael Green, Jermichael Green as a playoff guy, you know, and, and, there's an argument to be made that you don't really need that guy at center, that you can do a patchwork quilt. The Warriors have won championships that way. But it, it is it is something that can be a limitation. And you talked about, and I think this was a great point, about the Jazz and, you know, that uh, LeBron's rolling or something like that. And part of why I've talked about the league going back maybe towards centers is that there, are, there aren't as many, you know, teams that you have to switch everything against. And also, there are a lot of really talented, driving players. And something we've seen is that, a capable, especially if they're agile, big man can really gum up those works. I mean, Horford on Giannis is a really good example of that, or having a second body, you know, having Horford on Giannis and then having Aaron Baines at the rim, this is now going to be Horford and Embiid, like those sorts of things, and that that having bodies there, having guys that can move, and yeah, you can combat that with force basing and everything else, but... I think that the clippers don't quite have that personnel. The really good news for the clippers is that is the single easiest thing to fix you know like that that is a a niche that you can either get somebody in the buyout market or that you can acquire somebody via trade and the clippers, as this is a very underrated part of this that i I wrote a little bit about this when I did a breakdown of of their moves for the athletic but They deliberately, from what I could tell, I I don't have any sources in their front office. It seems to be pretty clear that they gave up all these future assets in the George trade and, and everything else they did, but they retained the ability through the Stepien rule to trade their 2020 first round pick. And I think the reason they did that is because they can use some of their filler salary. They can use that pick and upgrade at whatever they think is the biggest thing they need to upgrade. And what makes the Clippers different is, yeah, they could, you could make an argument that a lot of these guys, Lou Williams, Mo Harkless, Montres Harrell, like a lot of these guys could be a really important part of this Clippers team, but they also are awesome salary filler if they end up wanting to do something really different. So I think interior defense is my biggest concern right now, but I also think they can correct it, though. I didn't count that in. I didn't put that in here because I didn't think that was fair.
0: That's such a great point. Um, uh, like That's one thing I noticed with the Lakers is they are who they are, but they can't make upgrades. They've traded every pick until the end of time. They, they can't upgrade in any sort of capacity. So the Clippers' ability to be like, okay, here's where we are we're good. What we need is X and then go shopping at the deadline and either offer just the pick um, or to be like, Hey, we'll give you Montrez Harrell and a pick. Like that's a great package. Like Montrez Harrell and a first round pick, will get you a very capable upgrade um, at a key position or, you know, to be like, all right, we'll give you Lou Williams and a first rounder. Um, and that's just something a lot of guys are going to be in on. And like, I'm sure those guys will be inferior to hear that, but it's just like, look, that's the reality is, um, is there's there's Paul George and there's Kawhi and there's everybody else. So they're gonna have to figure all that. Um, I think the Rockets are really interesting to me too. Like they're just I have them at the top level. Um, I pretty much just because uh, part of it is I'm like, well, they're gonna win 55 games because Harden and a mostly healthy roster, and I have no reason to believe they'll have the injury issues that they did last year. Um, Harden the mostly healthy roster wins 55. They almost won 55 last year despite missing Chris Paul and, and Capella for over a month. So it's like. They're going to win 55, okay? They're going to get there. Unless, like, he and Russ come to blows, they're going to get there. Um, If that's the case, then they are clearly at that level of all these other teams and are clearly able uh, to be – deserve to be in that conversation. And when we look at it and we say, look, a hardened-built team the last three years, 2017, they lost a weirdo series versus the Spurs. I think they would have given the, the Warriors a real run. 2018, they lose because Chris Paul's hamstring. Uh, And this year, uh, they didn't have it. They had chemistry issues. A lot of things went wrong in games one and two. And honestly, to be perfectly honest, after winning the next two, the Kevin Durant injury flipped the series and they weren't prepared to handle the Warriors without Durant like I said I wrote a whole thing about like look you're gonna to want to be on the Warriors here because the Rockets entire approach is built to stop the Warriors with Kevin Durant without them without him they are not prepared for this and I think they'll be more prepared for whatever they were to face now and they'll have a better sense of that and they're gonna be really strong like, they have to be in that consideration um so yeah like that's I think that we're mostly in agreement on who these top teams are uh where do did you have Utah again?
1: So I had Utah at the top of the next year. So I didn't have them in the two title groups of those six teams. Oh. I had them in... Basically, they're definitely a top half team. It wouldn't surprise... But I don't think they're going to win the championship. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Utah finishes with the best record in the West. It wouldn't shock me in the slightest if they do. But... I drew the first couple of tiers on titles for right now. We can do regular season projections later on. I, I feel like that. But the my biggest concern with Utah, and this was true even before what happened with Kawhi, is they don't really have the personnel to handle just those elite talents. And Gobert is, is incredible. And I think Gobert is more, he's, he's going to be better suited. And also he's improved, of course, against great teams than he was, you know, a couple of years ago. But LeBron and Kawhi are on, in my opinion, the two mo- the two most talented competitors that they face. And but I like Bogdanovich. I thought he did a better job on LeBron back in 2018 than I expected, and he deserves immense credit for that. But I don't think he's that guy. I don't think Joe Ingles is that guy and what makes the clippers and the lakers different in these in these groups is that they have two different guys that really put stress on a front court. And and you know, maybe if you could try to defend Paul George with the two, maybe maybe I don't think it'll work particularly well. And that's where I get a little bit queasy with the jazz. So I think they're in that group. This is actually where I had Denver a lot of last year, which is like they're a really good team, and i i they could they can win as many games as they want, but unless, as you said, Donovan Mitchell takes that jump for me to say they're going to beat four other teams in seven game series, at least two of which are going to be really damn good i like, I'm just not quite there yet. I could be there, and in March or April, I absolutely could be, especially if Mitchell takes a jump I'm just not yet
0: um one final note on the, the Sixers because you mentioned and I forgot to go back to it. You realize I went through that entire spiel about them and I just didn't mention Al Horford. That's how <laughs> like that's how this offseason is. Where I'm well, like, and,
1: and you didn't oh, talk oh, as oh, much oh, about oh. Josh Richardson who like I've been on the Josh Richardson train for an insanely long time and I think that he gives them defensively a look that could be really important because he makes life hard on this, the guards that most teams don't have a player for. And yeah. incidentally, the Bucks don't really have that guy so it doesn't matter as much against them but any number of other teams in the Eastern Conference, like in the playoff picture, like you put Josh Richardson on, let's say Oladipo comes back and he's 100% or close to it. He's just going to make Victor Oladipo's life suck. And there is an intense value to that. And incidentally, I think they were, they're a team that could benefit theoretically. It's not going to happen, obviously, from going to like a top 16 format because there are so many dominant guards in the West, but it'll still help them all the same. If you can cut off a team's attack, I think if they played Boston as another example, it could be there. I'll talk about the Rockets briefly. I think I agree with you. And I think this is a point that needs to be hammered hard by people like us is that i am I' am among the people who believe that the Rockets have some much bigger structural problems now with Russ that they did not have with chris Paul and and they also have a higher ceiling because Russell Westbrook is an incredibly talented player in some ways that Chris Paul is not and cannot be at this stage in his career, however. Those misgivings that I have are almost entirely playoff-based, and so it is not reasonable or fair to say that the Rockets will be like a bad regular season team or a worse regular season team because of it, because Russ is healthier, he can play more minutes, and these like the the structural things about like oh how do you defend like defending the Rockets is easier when Russ is off ball in the regular season that stuff doesn't really come up that much teams don't have the capacity to develop specific schemes and really go into this stuff with some exceptions and we're seeing a little bit more tactical zone and and elements like that also tactical zones against Harden are a real challenge but I think the Rockets like and, and I wonder how that idea, which I think you and I whether we, whether or not we agree on the postseason Foible stuff, that I'm a little bit concerned, lito you know, like looking looking a long way into the future that some will see the success that I expect them to have in the regular season as a sign that everything is fine. And I, I don't think that's true, but I fully expect that to be where many people are in February, March, and April.
0: Their fans definitely will be there. Um, I I think a lot of us are just going to be looking for – we're going to be looking for change. We're going to be looking for – Uh, It doesn't matter how many wins you get. It doesn't matter what kind of points you put up. It doesn't matter uh, what your efficiency rating is. What matters is, is Russ playing off ball at all? Is Harden playing off ball at all? Have they shifted their pace? How much have they changed? How much have they adapted? Like this can work. All of us are like, this can work if, but these ifs are, those are big ifs.
1: There's things can well, and, and on. Like, on the along those lines, it, it's going to be hard to evaluate the Rockets also because to me the points that I'm going to be looking at most intently are close games in the last three minutes against good teams, and it's entirely possible they're just not going to play many of those in the regular
0: season. Yeah, and like, look, they're going to hammer the Magic. They're you know one of their best games last season when uh, that really like boosted things. Um, they played Atlanta like the second or third game after Capella got back. And they just annihilated them. Like they went to Atlanta, and it was like the, everything. It was like the best possible Rockets game, um, and it boosted their efficiency ratings, and it kind of set the tone. And like they, that win really did. Like you saw it. It gave them momentum to be like, if we play that way, no one's going to beat us, except for like you know the Warriors. Um, but the problem is like you have to be prepared for how things are different. And I'm really curious if Harden has finally reached that point. Like I wonder if Harden thinks. You know what? I averaged 36 points a game, the second most in the last 50 years behind Jordan. Um, I was second, and I still didn't win MVP. I came up second, which he'll obviously always be mad at, um, and we lost. Maybe it's time for me to graduate beyond that. There is a point where players do reach that. Like LeBron, after 2013, really did reach a point where he was like, I no longer need regular season validation. All I'm doing is playing for, for May and June. Like That's all I'm doing. And like I wonder if Harden may have reached that level, like if he's still really geared on I gotta win MVP, I can do this. No, I no, no, I can do this. I can do it both. I can. Then they're gonna struggle again. They they need him healthier. They need him more rested. And Russ affords that opportunity. Like give Harden the night off and just be like Russ, go out there and run spread pick and roll with Capella fifty times. Just just go out there and run over and over again. We're playing the magic. They do not have the versatility or the length to stop you. Go do that. Um, and they can win, you know, eighty percent of their games. That Harden sits if he sits if he sits twelve games, they can win ten of them playing that way. And likewise, like they can manage Russ a little bit with being like, okay, you know, Russ's knee is acting a little bit up. Let's just go back and Harden's going to cook. And then after Harden does that, okay, the next game we're going to rest them both, and we're just going to say, you know what, it's fine if we lose this game, play for later. Like fo- focusing on that and focusing on what you're going to need to do to beat the Clippers to beat the Lakers, to beat the Rockets, or to beat the, the Nuggets, to beat the Jazz, uh, to beat the Warriors, because I still, like, I'm ready to start talking about them because, look, uh, you're out there, you know, team, there's a lot of, of feeling that's not, and, like, they lost Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston, along with, obviously, Kevin Durant. And those are big losses, and Clay Thompson's out um, an indeterminate amount of time. I've heard a lot of weird, of uh, not weird, I've heard a lot of disparate stuff about Clay, where it's like, they've said five months he's going to be back, so that's like, you know, December, January. And then I've heard like, well, it may be a little bit longer than that. Like there's just been a lot of noise about it like there always is with these injuries, and we're not going to know until fall. We won't have a good idea until like November of of how far away he is. But I'm assuming he comes back, and even if he comes back on March one. I still believe that Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, that is a good enough trio with anything around them, which they they kept enough around them, um, that those three are good enough to make a real run at the title under Steve Kerr. Like, if they get into a series, you can throw out, like, oh, but the defense from the Clippers and all that. Okay, well, if Steph scores 40, And Steph finally has a a playoff series where he's unleashed after he's gotten better every single playoff series he's been in. And last year I thought was his best playoff run of his career. And everyone's like, well, Draymond's going to slide. But what if he doesn't? What if he's got one more year left in him? Like I think the Warriors belong in this conversation – Based off of their experience, their motivation, and how like they're gonna have like they have to adapt. Like the Rockets can go out and just try and be like, Well, we're just gonna do my turn, your turn, and do the same thing, and they can get by. But the Warriors have to adapt. And I think that they're they are in particular a team of individuals of how smart they are in terms of the way that they approach the game, that they will be best suited to an environment in which you adapt or you die. And I have a lot of faith in them to adapt.
1: Getting Mooney back even if he doesn't play a ton of minutes in the regular season or in any given game, Kerr doesn't seem comfortable with that for whatever reason, they got Kali Stein and and Kali Stein will help. And maybe Draymond plays a little bit more at at center during the year, just as a break glass, but they don't have enough wings. So that's actually, it's probably not much of an issue, but they, I the offense when Steph Curry's on the floor, even if they they're significantly more limited than before, that's not a a, a you know that they'll be good offensively. They'll, they'll probably often be great offensively. So the question for me in the interim is is will they be good enough defensively? But as you talked about, when they get Clay back, that changes a lot of that and. It's fair to, if if we're going to look look forward to, to March and April and all that, to, to to put them in this conversation because they do have, once you narrow the rotation, because remember the passage of time, as long as they stay healthy, and you know, that's a caveat that we're putting on all of these teams, of course, is that somebody of this kind of parade of possibilities that they have at, at all these spots, you know, whether whether it's young guys like Pascal and Smiley, Smiley each, or if it's... Alec Burks and GR3 and Alphonso McKinney, you know, like the idea that at least like one or they won't need as much from those guys, just like they didn't this past year, but they at least one of them will probably be not terrible enough to make it work. And Curry Thompson Green is an amazing foundation. And what makes those guys special is that you can do it with a lot of different pieces around them. As long as you have like a base level of offensive and or defensive competence with those other two guys, you can do so much damage because you have your offensive initiator, you have a bunch of different complementary passers, you have two strong defenders in Curry, as long as he's not in foul trouble, can do a lot. So yeah, I think there's a fair argument there. Now having the biggest other piece, and it looks like my expectation is that Russell will be on the roster for all of next year, not particularly fit well with that paradigm of, you know, Curry, Thompson, Green, and someone else, even though he's a talented player and will be good in the other minutes. I think that your your theory of this makes sense to me. Still plenty to talk about with Matt Moore, but first a message from betonline.ag. We're now past the All-Star break. We've reached past the midway point in the Major League Baseball season, and the excitement is heating up. There's only one place that has you covered, and that is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. This is a really fun and fascinating time of the year in baseball. As I said, the the All-Star break has passed, and starting to get some clarification in terms of the playoff picture, and Yankees and Twins and Astros are looking really good in the American League, and then the Dodgers sadly enough, as a Giants fan, are pushing on pretty well in the National League, but the playoff pictures are still in flux, and, they're, and one of the great things about baseball is that there are games all the time. So betonline.he is a great way to stay engaged, whether it's making a game you are already going to watch more interesting, or if you want to get engaged in something else. So you don't need to sit on the sidelines anymore, you can get in on the action, and do not forget to use the PODCAST1 promo code because that gives you a 50% welcome bonus. Alternatively, you can text BETNOW, B T N O W to 238 nine either way you get that 50 percent welcome bonus at betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts
0: let's do a quick recap Um, i'll go first and then you do yours and then let's do are you on tier four or three right now
1: i'll lay out the rest of my tier three but i don't think we're going to need to talk too much about those guys
0: okay so like real quick like um i've got we know we can do it which is the clippers sixers rockets lakers warriors and bucks very much yes but which is the jazz nuggets that's tier two my third tier uh, just good. These teams are just good. Like I know what they're gonna be. Um, and it, it's the Pacers, the Raptors, the Spurs, the Celtics, the Blazers. Uh, I'm including the Pelicans, but I'm actually like right now gonna drop them into one tier below because I'm just too high on them. Um, but like that's that's where I come out on. It's like I know that the, the Raptors, even with like unless they really do commit to a rebuild in midseason, season, which I don't expect them to, uh, they're gonna win between 45 and 50 games. The Pacers are going to win between 45 and 50 games. The Spurs are going to win between 45 and 50 games. The Celtics are going to win between 45 and 50 games. And the Blazers are going to win between 45 and 50 games. Like, there's no scenario in which I see those teams being below 500 and they're, without a major injury. And there's no scenario in which I see them winning, you know, 52. I'll give them two more wins to kind of as a buffer. If, like, they win a bunch of close games or things work out. But I don't see them winning 55. They're not going to be serious contenders. They're just good. The Pacers, the Raptors, the Spurs the Celtics and the Blazers.
1: I think there's a similar story. I drew the lines a little differently, but so my, what I had is my definite top half. And that's the same sort of idea. They're going to be really good teams. I don't expect them to win the championship. Jazz, Blazers, Celtics, and Raptors. And the Raptors, I, I thought I was going to have more trouble pa- placing them, but when I just put put up their roster and said, okay, here's their projected starting 5 like, yeah, that's still a pretty good team. And it's possible that Masai pivots and, and does something during the season, but that's true of all of these. And and I wasn't really projecting too much there. I think the Raptors are a, a solid a solid playoff team. I think their offense will be good enough. I think their defense could be very good as well. And, you know, Kuwait, and, and remember, they ban- managed a lot last year. Also, OG and Anobi missed so much of the year due to the appendicitis and everything that came from that. So I think they could really put it together. And then the Celtics, I hope that the turnover that they've had and, and losing Horford does really hurt. I mean, let's let's be clear about that. And their their rotation is going to be a little bit more garbled. You know, there's going to be a challenge to kind of piece together everything that, that they lost with Horford more so than Kyrie because Kyrie was replaced by Kemba Walker, who not an identical player, but you know, th- that that'll work a little bit better. But Boston has, you know, I think their defense will still be very good. They have a lot of pieces there, and, and they're going to have to do more with their centers. And then offensively, I think they'll put it together. So, like, for me, it would surprise me, even if maybe their record is a little bit, vacillates a little bit, it would really surprise me if they didn't have a positive net rating, and pro- likely a significantly positive one this year.
0: Um. So I have a lot more questions about Boston. Like, I look at Boston, and I'm I'm very much like, look, um, the core of that team for years has been their defense. Like That's been the, the kind of the... The dirty secret is, like, you know, for all that talent, for Kyrie and Tatum and all that, like, their offense hasn't really been great. It's been their defense. It's been their defense because of Horford that's carried them, and he's gone now. So And Baines is gone as well, and Baines is a very good defender. So part of me is of the mindset of, like, okay, who's really going to carry this defense for them? And I don't have a very clear answer for that. Um, I think – I was a little surprised when I looked at their roster. I was like, "Man, there's a lot more questions on this than I thought there would be." Yeah,
1: the front like, the front court in particular.
0: Yeah, it's just like I don't know how much better are these guys than what we've seen? Uh, yeah, I, like they just feel like a very mid tier kind of team. They don't feel like a team that's loaded with top level guys or like, oh, I definitely know he's good. Like, I mean, their starting center is Enis Cantor. It can't be like overstated the defensive drop off from going from um. Al Horford to Enos Canner. That's just such an insane drop off. So I think that's something that probably needs to be mentioned. um, That they're going to be really, they're going to really struggle, I think, uh, based off of their defense, and that that's going to take. Um, a lot of figuring out for them. So I'm I'm a little bit lower on Boston, but again, it's just like, well, I got Kimball Walker. I like Tatum and Brown. I like Smart. They have enough guys. uh, They'll get the job done. Even if I'm there, I think there's gonna be a lot of points in the season where I'm like, well, well, I don't know about this this Boston team, but I think they will figure it out just enough for them to be, uh, like I said, 45 to 50.
1: In previous years, I've talked about player situations being clarifying, meaning that I talked about Andrew Wiggins with this when they acquired Jimmy Butler, that because he got put in a more favorable spot, they had somebody who could defend the best guys and he could slide into a more reasonable role offensively. That those situations are often clarifying because it, we'll, we'll find out whether he's actually good or not. And I would say Wiggins largely failed in that circumstance. I think that's what the season is for Brad Stevens. Like Brad Stevens, oh. I've thought of him as a really good coach for a long time. Those early Celtics teams, I remember you using the phrase "tryhards," and, and and I agree with you. Like that, those teams, the early Stevens teams, really played over their heads, especially these young guys. And young guys typically don't defend defending really well. And so I think that's a part of what I'm doing right now is that. I agree with you that they're not as clear. Like, let's say you compare the Celtics to the Blazers. As much as I have some misgivings, and I do, with what the Blazers did this offseason, and Nurkic is out for at least a period of time this year, I have far fewer questions about the Blazers from a talent perspective than I do with the Celtics. And it's not like Terry Stotts is a bad coach in any semblance, way, shape, or form. He's, he's a very, very good coach. But I think I'm going to give the Celtics the benefit of the doubt for right now with Brad Stevens, because I think I think he's a very good coach. And... It is interesting for me, and I will acknowledge this, that one of the teams you had in this tier that I did not is the San Antonio Spurs. And I should probably use the same logic there, especially when you consider, you know, like what San Antonio put together last year with a top five offense, somehow, some way. But I'm just, I- I'm just still not a believer in their talent. And so I'm not all the way there yet.
0: They're very close to being good, but they just, they keep relying on, like they're top, here's the thing with weird is most teams that we look at in the league um, almost all the teams we look at in the league we look at and we say well I love their stars like obviously those guys are great but what about the other dudes and they are the exact opposite where with uh, San Antonio I'm like well I love DeJounte Murray and Derek White and all those guys but I do not believe in DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge like I just don't I don't believe in, in those two guys and so I don't have any faith that they can do what they need to do um in the playoffs but i've just kind of learned at this point that they are so good at basically just gaming the nba regular season they beat the bad teams they'll figure out a handful of wins that they need to get um they'll do what they need to in order to get enough guys uh on on board to play well for a whole season that they will come away with you know, 45 to 50 wins. Like, they're just consistent. And I don't think it's a measure of their ability to match up. Like, the fact that they lost to the Nuggets the way that they did, um, they had a real opportunity to steal a series when Denver had one of the worst shooting performances I've ever seen in a playoff game in Game 1. They had an opportunity to steal that series, and they couldn't get it done. And to me, a lot of that's, like, on DeRozan and Aldridge. And I don't mean to kill those guys. It's just, like, the, they, those guys need to be, like, third to fourth best guys on a team and they are the number one and number two. Um, but look, look, Dejounte Murray is going to come back. They're going to get, have guys that step up. Um, I still like Purtle a lot. Their second unit was so good last year. that was the, the secret. It was like their benches just killed people because again, they'll face these teams like Orlando, like Atlanta, like everybody in the Southeast Division, essentially. And they'll win because they'll go on 15-2 runs in the the second and third quarters and get that thing done. So they're still going to be in this group with all of these teams. It's weird to be like, yeah, the Spurs are in the same tier as the defending NBA champion Toronto Raptors, but I don't know how good – I I think there's going to be a lot of hangover next year for the Raptors where – Look, they won a lot of games about Kawhi last year, so there's reason to think that they can get there, and I'm still saying they're going to. I'm saying like 48-49 wins uh, for Toronto, but I think there'll be some hangover. I think there'll be some wear and tear, and I think that's going to be really hard for them to get up for those – it's going to be hard for them to get up for – after what they went through last year and those big moments. How do you get up for, oh, it's Tuesday in February versus the Pistons. How do you get up for that game? You know, like, how do you get up for the Kings at the end of a West Coast road trip? It's hard. So I think that's where they'll maybe dip a little bit. Uh, And so I think that they're in that group. Um, I have my fourth tier, which is very much the middle. It's the the very, the thinnest level of the hourglass. And it's the Nets, the Heat, the Kings. uh, I add the Pelicans to this group, which is like around 500. Might have some really good seasons. They've got really good stars at the top level. Um, there are some real weaknesses with all of these teams. The Pelicans are the team that I think had the most variance, where I don't think they'll, they'll jump into the top two tiers, but the Pelicans could very much, I think, be um, just good, like 45 to 50. That's not insane to me. And then the Pelicans could also be sub 500, and that wouldn't surprise me either. It's a young team. They've got a lot of question marks. A lot of the guys have, have issues. Um, so they're kind of in that group, but... It's really weird, like, the Heat added Jimmy Butler, and I still just am like, okay. Like, I don't know what to even say about that team. Like, I don't <laughs> know what to say about the Heat. Well, I really
1: so, I, I agree with you, and I think that Miami is a, it, they're a a challenging team sometimes to talk about because Jimmy Butler is just such a lightning rod, and I'm, I'm sure that there will be people who think that the Jimmy Butler-Josh Richardson change is just so much bigger, and off the court in many ways, it, it very well could be. For me, the reason that Miami is in this tier, I so I've had as probable top half, is a Eric Spolster and his defense, but also Goran Dragic only played in 36 games last year, and I think that could be really important because they were they were doing a lot with, you know, it was MacGyvering, especially offensively with, you know, masking tape and just kind of like putting things together, Wade having some big games that we had some some terrible ones as well. And so Miami yeah, last year... Justice Winslow at point guard. Justice yeah, they, Winslow at point guard. And so Miami last year, they, they finished the year using cleaning glasses, garbage time filters. They finished the year 26th in offense. And having Jimmy will definitely help that as well. If they can have more Dragic, they can and, and they'll just have some more options, I would expect. You know, they give their front office another year to evaluate talent, fit in some of these other players so i don't know exactly what it's going to look like but my expectation is that they will end up figuring it out at least to that kind of appointment and you know it is it is you know, having them in the it's probable top half not definitely like, I, I don't have them in the same thing as like the raptors where it's just to be an easier case because they have more talent and everything else like that but they're going to defend, and I think Miami. Something striking with them, also, I think they benefited a lot from not having to include Dragic in, in the trade. I think you know, in the in the Jimmy Butler trade, I think he's going to really help them at different moments, especially to help run this run stuff when Jimmy's off the floor. But also because it just gives them another guard, because I was starting to freak out as soon as that was kind of the early iterations of how this was going to happen, that they just didn't like, are they going to start Tyler Hero or some of these some of these other kind of ideas because they just didn't have enough personnel. And yeah, I believe in Riley and their front office to find guys, you know, to mine Sioux Falls as deep as Sioux Falls can be mined. But now that's a little bit easier and – I think the front court, you know, losing losing Hassan Whiteside does hurt in the sense that, you know, he's a talented player and I, I do think that, you know, he's overrated, but overrated does not mean bad in any way in any way. And so they're a little bit less not versatile, but they just have a little bit less depth there, and I think that could be could be concerning, even though I thought that was a good move for them. But I am really interested in just kind of how it all fits together. So here's here's my little point with Miami. I think they will be intellectually interesting, but I think they will be one of the least fun teams to watch in the league except even and I'm somebody who loves watching defense. Like it just I I think they're going to be they're going to have a lot of slogs, but I think they're going to win a lot of slogs.
0: Yeah, they're just going to kind of be there. It's going to be like oh the heater the heater aren't, aren't bad. They you know, but Butler's going to have some nights where it's like that he goes off for 40 or 45, and you're going to be like, whoa, what a night from Jimmy Butler. But I think most nights it's just going to be like, okay, but the thing is, like, they, they do have a lot of NBA guys. That, and that's the thing that gets them that, very much in this tier, is it's like, like Kelly Allen is good. Like Dion Waiters, in certain contexts, is good. Um, I don't, I am not a white-side guy. I've never been a white-side guy. Uh, he had a couple of moments where I was like, you know, he kind got underrated, and then they kind of fell apart. Um, so like, I'm not, I'm just not a white-side guy. And I think that, Probably he's like a net negative for Portland and a net positive in terms of his departure for Miami. Um, You look at it, and a lot of it's like, all right, Justin Winslow was a lot better last year. Is that sustainable? Can he can he go a level above? Is he going to get better? But that's an interesting one. Uh, I do like, however, how much equity they have in trade value, right? Like they could make some real changes mid-season and get real good real fast because they've got. Drogic expiring at 19.2 um, James Johnson expiring at 15.3 he's got a player option for uh, 2021 but even then you're like okay like capable big um, with you know a player option next year that would be a big expiring contract for us um, they've got uh, you know Dion's got two years left that's a manageable contract uh, they've got um, a, a, just a few guys and like bam's really good and so if, if you if you put kind of all those kind of packages together, they have a, some capability, I think, to be good enough uh to you know be a playoff team in the Eastern Conference be a pain, but I feel like the ceiling is uh not only is it low, but it's like a concrete ceiling. You're not they're not gonna bust beyond. They're not gonna be one of the top five best teams in the league. They're not gonna have that stretch where they're like, man, maybe we're really underrating the heat. They're not gonna be there. They're just in the middle. Uh, the Nets, I think surprisingly I'm really down on considering how high I've been on them. Like, like a lot of it's just like, look, they don't have Kevin Durant, and that's thirty million dollars in salary. And they lost I did the the look at all of the guys that had positive net ratings last year, and there's noise in that, sure. But they lost a lot of guys that actually did help them win last year. Like Ed Davis and Jared Dudley helped them win games and both those guys are gone. Uh Demari to so to Carroll too. And Demari to Carroll too. So like they I have some questions about the Nets, like and look We've seen Kyrie. I don't know what to believe about Kyrie Irving because if you're like me and you believe that the reason the Celtics teams were good was because Al Horford's awesome and Kyrie kind of did his thing, which is valuable, uh, then you're at a point of being you know a little bit concerned about exactly what the Nets are going to look like without a player of that caliber. Um, maybe I'll be really high on them in 2020, 2021, but for now, I, I have a lot of reservations. I think the Nets will be fine because they've got enough talent i like atkinson but i'm a little bit concerned about it the kings i'm trying to figure out too like oh yeah like what if Heald and, and fox get better Then what like if they play better as a team then what if bagley gets better then what but it's also like okay but what if last year was a little bit of a blip and a bunch of guys had things go right and they take a little like what if we're looking at more of a of a Suns mid-2000s tier than we are like um you know, a, a rising power or like a Grizzlies 2010 the year before they made the playoffs. Those are the kind of questions that I kind of have.
1: Yeah. And the other story that happens for me with a lot of teams that kind of exceed on one end of the four. And what I mean by this is like, I, I when I watched the Kings and I, I watched a lot of them, I really, I really enjoyed them. I thought they were, they were a strong team is when I, I didn't see a, you know, even a league average defense they ended the year, I think they were, yeah, they were 18th last year. And some of that is they got, they got some pretty good fortune in terms of teams missing threes. Like they gave, they gave up a fair amount of them and teams just, just missed a bunch of them. And I didn't see it as particularly, you know, that there may be that narrow group of squads that can really put it together and their, their defense could absolutely be better you know, from a personnel standpoint, this year getting Dwayne Dedman, I, I really like Dedman, and, and then you know they have more options now in the front court. I don't necessarily love those options, but at least they have more of them, and that's good. But I, I wonder the same thing, and and they're in this point, and I'm not comparing them as teams, but it was you know like with De'Aaron Fox, kind of with De, with where I was starting last year with Devin Booker, which is they're going to get better. And I don't doubt it, but I wonder how that's going to manifest in terms of team success. So De'Aaron Fox was transformational last year for the Kings. They were not, they were basically a huge part of their offensive success was that they not only were successful largely in transition offense, but they ran so much more than a lot of other teams. But what, what kind of concerns me about that is that transformation has already happened. Fox can get better and I expect him to as a half court player and he can get better as a transition player. And he's going to get better as a defender too. I loved him as a defender going back to the hoop summit, but once you've done the big change that he was a part of, and you know, they, they changed coaches and a couple other things, whether that impacts it or not. But so the idea, I I fully expect him to get better, but can he, what can he do that really elevates them And I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying that I'm having trouble visualizing what it is. And sometimes that is just an example of me not seeing the whole picture. Pascal Siakam is a great example here. I just didn't see how he was going to put it together. And he did. And now I understand it because it's the reality. And so like maybe with Donovan Mitchell, but with Donovan, it's going to be more about the jump shot maybe than anything else. You know, the, I, I believe that there is a path. I'm just not seeing exactly what it is. And the way my brain works, even if I believe that it's there until I, I, I degrade that possibility a little bit. If it's harder for me to internalize.
0: So, uh, I I'm with you on all that. I think, uh, my bottom three tiers, uh, I have competent mediocre, like mediocre is the top of my bad tier, which is good. Like that's good that this like the bad, the top of the bad is still pretty good. Is still mediocre and fine um pistons magic thunder can make the can make the playoffs in the eastern conference gonna be up and down there's gonna be nights gonna be like i really liked watching them and nights gonna be like Ugh. Um, the thunder are a tough one for me because I, I actually looked at the roster today and i had just forgotten I, like again just forgetting these these guys are on there because i was like well okay chris paul stephen adams that's gonna be a really great pick and roll combination because adams is so good at finishing on the little floater and paul is still really efficient um, so that'll be good, uh, and I was like, well, okay, they'll get Andre Robertson back, and there's some defense. I was like, ah, but how are they going to score? And then I remembered, I was like, well, they're getting Daniel and Gallinari. They're going to have Gallo on this team to fill out the scoring on the wing, and then they're also going to have Shai who can do some things. I'm like, wow, like Shay, like like they, they have just a lot that they can do. Like, that, that team, I had to bump up a full 10 wins because of how low I had them initially because I was like, ah, oh, they're just tanking. They're going to be terrible. But if they don't trade Chris Paul and they don't trade Steven Adams, this team's probably gonna still be rattling around uh in the playoff picture, even if they're not necessarily in it.
1: Yeah, I kind of was of was of the same boat when I was, you know, putting together the rotation. Like, oh yeah, they have they have Gallo, they have a lot, and they've defended well over the years. And if if Sam Presti wants to continue going for it, and I think what they're going to do is they'll they'll push for the first couple months. And if it's there, then they'll keep going. And if it's not, then you, then you start to pivot. Unless somebody makes a really strong offer for one of their dudes, and if that happens, then you you pivot harder. Like you know, for example, if somebody really wants Chris Paul, by all means, <laughs> you know, I I think that they there there aren't any offer. You know, there aren't any players that are off the table for them, and. OKC's okay, is there... So it's interesting. The way I ended up drawing this out, and part of it was my own limitations, you know, that I, I, I just... So I drew, drew what I thought was a fringe category. And so what, what the, the idea of the fringe group, and it's huge, it's basically everybody other than what I call the dregs, the bottom teams in the league, is they absolutely could be a top-half team. They're probably not going to be a championship team. And I have varying degrees of confidence, but the reason why it ended up becoming... I believe it's a 10 team tier is because when I tried to draw a line of separation, I just couldn't really do it. So, I'll go through them and this the order is basically how much confidence I have in them. And I think that order will surprise a lot of people, but and and it is more, you know, about potential and all that kind of stuff than anything else. But it's, you know, the it, the order is the order. But so here's how here's how I have this g- gigantic fringe group. Spurs, Mavericks, Pistons, Magic, Timberwolves, Hawks, Bulls, Kings, and the Kings, I should probably move up. That's, I I mean, I'm realizing that now. Thunder, Pelicans, and Suns. Like, all of them could be in the top, like, could be good teams. All of them, like, I think they could be on the fringes of the playoff race, depending on, you know, the bottom teams could be on the fringes. The top teams, I think, are more in it. But, like, when I got down to it, I was, like, it was Magic Timberwolves was the closest line that I was going to draw, and it just went, you know, I think the Magic are better, but I don't think they're that much better, and so I just ended up not drawing a line
0: much of it so much of this is just like playing in the east versus the west oh my god yeah so much of it because like the the wolves are a great example of if they're in the eastern conference they'd be like well no, they, they can make the playoffs like, they'd be even with the pistons and the magic and they're in the west and so they're a full tier lower um which is below competent mediocre i have uh, young fun and full of losses and uh that's the sun's the Timberwolves, the Hawks, the Grizzlies, the Bulls, and the Mavericks. All of those teams are built around a star talent under the age of 25. Um, all of those teams have are in asset building mode. All of those teams have the capacity where it's like, okay, look, if their rookies, or if they're young guys rather, are way better than we expect, then they're going to be, uh, they have the capacity. Like The Suns have have the most of any jump because there was this, a brief sliver of time when they had uh, Johnson and Oubre, um and Aiden and Booker and then that, that small stretch the Suns were competitive like they were a legitimately competitive team and so if they have that ability uh if they have that roster like there's a good chance that the Suns are going to be competent and that can move them up into like competent mediocre to that higher tier like they would not they're not a team that I would be amazed that they surprise me um the bulls likewise are, I'm actually really high on the bulls. Like I look at their roster and you look at some of the numbers and like, they were good. They were good when Porter played like auto Porter made them good. Uh, they're going to have better point guard play even with a rookie, uh, rookie point guards are rough, but they're still going to be better uh, on that end. Um, there's a lot of reason to believe in marketing. There's a lot of reason to believe in Wendell Carter jr. If he ever gets on the floor, uh, there's all these kind of reasons to kind of buy into the bulls. Uh, the Grizzlies, I think, are going to be sellers by the end of the season. It just makes more sense for them to sell uh, and and tank out, keep that pick, like we talked about. Um, the Hawks, I think, are likely to be really conservative with their approach. That they're just not going to value winning to such a degree that they um, are like going all out for it. They'll be kind of. We'll see how this goes. But all these teams are are really fun. Like the bad teams, at least you know, there was a lot. But the bad teams in uh, here in July look pretty fun they won't be as fun in january but they look fun now they do (laughs) i I, I wonder about like kind of where i've drawn these
1: line divisions and and you talked about the 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 Suns as well as as being an example of that That like yeah when they when they put it together they can do it and i'm a little bit more rosy on dallas than you are we talked about that you know came up a little bit earlier but another one like that for me and you talked about the conference disparities minnesota when covington played last year i thought that their defense looked a lot better There are some, I have some big questions about this roster. I also wonder how Rosas wants to turn it over it seems a lot more likely right now that some of the bigger things aren't going to happen just because it's so much harder to make those paradigm shifting moves once everything like the dust is basically settled so like for example an Andrew Wiggins trade is significantly harder now even even if we're including the trade deadline it's it's significantly harder now than it was in early July because a lot of these teams use their space or they sign guys they acquire guys and they like the players they got because this is the front office that chose those players and so I think that it's probably going to be a little bit more stable than I would probably like. But, you know, that's a part of the process. And they have all these committed contracts and pushing it out of here. But I think they could be better than people think. And something you brought the Bulls, I agree with you there, especially if we were doing this by like playoff likelihood, they would be higher. It's not how I chose to do my tiers. And something else that Chicago has right now, which makes me feel a lot better about them, is they have options. So you brought up Markinin, and I think that's a good, a good, a good one. They played better with Otto Porter on the four. Thaddeus Young is a really good player for them, and having him, having Saderansky, these players who, at the worst, add depth to the rotation, but at best, can give them different starting and closing fives that can. And, and gap fillers for injuries. And so now when, when something happens, whether it's, you know, they trade Chris Dunn or and misses some time, they're not as screwed as they were last year. And in the East, not being screwed probably puts you in a pretty good spot.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, there's just, because if we look at the bottom tier, and that's my final one, I have uh, four tiers in what I've labeled Lake will not be gone. Um, and that's the Wizards, the Hornets, the Knicks, and the Cavs. And those teams, I'm just like, you have really no reason to play this year. There's just not a whole lot of reason. Like the Cavs, I think there'll be some excitement about. Like maybe if Sexton and Garland fit together the way that they want as a CJ and Dame combo. Um, and if they don't trade Kevin Love and he plays the full year and you get, you know, veterans to play well with the young guys. Uh, or if they trade Love and they get like a big package back, which doesn't seem likely, but if they get like, because they more likely they want the pick. Uh, but there's a possibility there. If that stuff happens, then maybe that they could be a little bit decent. But like the Wizards, the Hornets, the Wizards are only held up by Brad Beal. Like it's Brad Beal and almost and Thomas Bryant and nothing else. And then um, the Knicks and the Cavs. Like I just think that those two. Te- I think the Knicks are going to be bottom tier again. I think they're going to be a, once again, even with all the the power forward veterans that they have, that they added. I just think that this is going to be another bottom tier team um, and a really bottom feeder. So, like, those are the teams at the real bottom. But you look at, like, I'd much rather be the Bulls. I'd rather much rather be the Suns. I'd much rather be the Hawks. I, I'd much rather be the Grizzlies than those teams in the bottom tier. And, um, you know, three of those teams are in the Eastern Conference. The Wizards, the Hornets, um, or the Wizards – I mean, no, sorry. They're all four in there. Uh, The Wizards, the Hornets, the Knicks, and the Cavs. It's four East teams that I have as the bottom of the entire NBA.
1: And them being four—and I have the Grizzlies here. Not be, I think their talent level is better, but partially it's the West thing, and partially it's just relying heavily on young guys often hurts. And I think they're going to you know, do some stuff with Iguodala and Jake Crowder at some point just because they'll be at that level. So for me, the gravity kind of pulls them in a specific direction. That's what we were talking about before. But what you were getting at with your four worst teams all being in the same conference is exceedingly important for both conferences because functionally what that means, unless we're really wrong on one of these teams, and I acknowledge that possibility— it's four, it's 11 teams fighting for eight playoff spots in the east that's pretty manageable whereas it's 15 maybe 14 for eight in in the west and, and where that where those lines get drawn is is going to be interesting but also remember that even though sometimes it can get overstated just because it's not like the teams are playing the ones in their same conference especially if they're not in the same division like eight times or anything crazy like that these are extra wins and the sooner those teams kind of turn tail then those become even easier for those other for those other teams to get a little bit fat and I think that's going to lead to a very different dynamic in the East than the West, where at least at the very beginning, everybody's going to be trying every single game. And so how does that, and the other ripple effect there is how does that affect load management? You know, like I think we're going to see a lot more of that throughout the league, Kawhi most prominently, but we're going to see it at a lot of different spots. And so the East teams just are going to have a few more opportunities to say, okay, we're playing the Cavs tonight. We can sit three of our, you know, best five players and we can still win. And that's what's important about load management is, and Kyrie is a great example of this when like, when the Celtics did it. And so there are people who have pointed to that and say, oh, the the Celtics won this many games or they were this good without Kyrie on the floor. And it's like, well, Brad Stevens did a pretty damn good job of knowing when they could still win. And that's a lot of times what you're trying to do. Sometimes you'll concede the loss. And we talked about this with Russ and Harden. There are a couple different ideas of that. But the West at this moment, not having many easy outs could end up being a really big stress factor here for some teams.
0: Yeah, and like... I mean, if, here's a, a good question, though. Is like, all right, Houston got off that terrible start last year, and they still wound up, what, fourth? Fourth. Um, do you have to have a hot start? Like, can't you have a slow start and still be fine? Like, the, I mean, really, the, the the season doesn't matter until about January. It just doesn't. Like, you you well- can –
1: so that's an interesting point. And, and I think that there is more veracity to it than than some might think. But what I think is, is, is the question there is how good is your fastball? So the Rockets had James Harden. They could go on these runs where they would just crush bad teams and they could win a bunch of games in a row. It's a lot easier to come back from that kind of a start if you have that kind of a ceiling. And so the Rockets can have confidence in that. Let's say the Lakers or the Clippers or, you know, those top, those kind of definite top half teams, So like my top three tiers. Those teams don't need to freak out at all. Also, we have no idea how the seeding is going to turn out in terms of with, let's say the Warriors, you know, like the Warriors are going to be a tougher out than a lot of the teams in their kind of seed tier. So that affects where you want to be and everything like that. So I don't think those teams need to freak out, but the most important way that those early season struggles matter is how it affects ownership and management. Because there will be teams that see that, especially and the players as well, but I think that's sometimes overrated. But if a team sees a bad first month at of front office and says, well, crap, we need to do something, well, then even if they shouldn't panic, if they did, that matters.
0: Yeah. Uh, before we go, can you sell me on Dallas? Because I'm, I have concerns. Sell me, sell me on Dallas being um, competitive to decent. Okay, I think Luca has a, a big step to make
1: just like any other talented young guy I thought that you know he, he was worse at the end of the year and that leads to some of the stuff with Luca and and Trey Young and everything like that but I I like the variability and viability of their front court you know Porzingis will have to see but he's a really talented player when he's healthy and I think that he will be a part of their rotation I think he's actually gonna be pretty good this year I love Kleba. I think that he is a a really good fit for where the league is going. More of a shot blocker than a defensive ace, but he is a more capable defensive player than I think some think. And he can shoot the ball so you can use him in different things. I don't love Dwight Powell, but at least he can be a part of a rotation. And then I am, and Boban, of course, is, is Boban. You can, uh, I think, I think you can make that work. And then, Finney Smith is kind of in that same boat, but then a lot of the other part is Rick Carlisle. And that's—I don't necessarily love their guard rotation. I'm going to include Hardaway Jr. as a guard, like, you know, with Seth Curry and DeLon Wright and Brunson. I like a lot of those guys, but I don't love a lot of those guys. But Carlisle, both with the way that he structures his second unit and just the the balancing of playmaking responsibilities— I think that the ecosystem is going to work I don't know exactly how but it's it's kind of like the Brad Stevens thing for me if like I think he's a really good coach I think I think Car- the Carlisle is a really good regular season one in particular and I, I I believe in their overall talent level because I think you know like I really like Courtney Lee I've liked Courtney Lee for years now and he might be closer to wash than I would like but I think that there's you know there's still there's still a, a, a talented enough player in there to help make them better and so I think they have enough bites at the Apple to be Really interesting. My question is: defense. Just like, can they? What is their defensive identity? How are they going to put it together? But they're, you know, like I, they're kind of like Sacramento and a few of these other teams. Where I like enough of what they have that I'm, I can believe that it might end up working out. But again, I can, I, I, feel, as I'm making that case, I feel for how kind of abstract it is.
0: Yeah, I, I just have, um, I look at the at the at the roster, and it's like I, there's a lot of guys. That, I like Cleaver as well. Um, I like DFS a little bit. Um, Brea was good last year, but that injury is really concerning. Um, Seth Curry had some moments like there's like, they definitely have guys. I'm just, a lot of that, I think just comes down to how good you think Chris Porzingis is and what level he's going to be at when he returns. And I, I have a healthy amount of skepticism. I think for Porzingis more than most based off of not only his health, but also, you know, I think he's a little underrated in terms of an interior defender and overrated in terms of his perimeter, uh, capability on both sides. So um, those are my questions, but man, what a fun tier system we have, man. Like what, what a fun season that's looking like it's going to be.
1: Yeah. And, and we could theoretically go off on any number of different discussions right here, but we've, I think we've done plenty here. So unless there's something you really want to talk about, I will thank you for taking the time.
0: Thanks for having me, man.
1: Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read him at the Action Network, and of course you can follow him on Twitter, if you don't already, somehow, at HPBasketball, H-P-B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. Love having Matt on, and these conversations are so illuminating, both in terms of the preparation, also getting getting into his thought process of how he's thinking about these teams, and it, it was it was blast, and it's something that I, I genuinely enjoy. When we, we talked about kind of when we wanted to do this, late July seemed like, a logical inflection point, And so we were able to pull that off. And Real Gym Radio, as many of you know, if you've been around for a long time, thank you if you are. We keep going all the way through the summer. And this is a once a week podcast that is year long. So it's 52 and going to go in some interesting directions over the next few weeks and of course going to do all the division by division stuff as well those will cover probably the next 2 months between those two things of a few separate conversations and then and then those six division by division things so Keep an eye on that. That's why it's great to subscribe and download every episode. Also, spread the word however you see fit if it's a single episode or the show in general. Even though this show's been going on a long time, it still is, is good to get that word of mouth. And leaving a rating, leaving a review, it's the same thing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If it, if you use another player, that's totally fine as well. If you want to be awesome, you can leave review both places if you don't use Apple Podcasts. Whatever you see fit and the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is check out our advertisers betonline.ag use that podcast1 promo code it's it's pretty awesome and You can check things out now. They have some future stuff for the NBA as well, of course, so you can can take a look at all that. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to express that. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I don't always respond, though I will try to be better about that when I have the capacity to respond, which is more around now. As I said, the show will be back next week, but I'm releasing this on a Sunday afternoon, so it will be probably, you know, in the next few-ish days, not necessarily, you know, it'll be Monday to Sunday is was when the episodes have to come out. So I have a couple ideas of where it's going to go. Don't know exactly for sure yet. Still need to line up a guest, but it'll be fun. That's the way this works. So you can also check out my written work at The Athletic and dunked on is we're still doing a few times a week. And so I'm recording when they, I think recording on Monday is the next time we're going. So we're a few times a week now. So you can, that's more on the news and everything else like that. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. <music> Surface Pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet, all in one. This thin and adaptable device has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that can even store your Surface Pen.
0: Surface Pro 8 is Microsoft's most powerful Pro yet. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash Surface Pro 8. It's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep the facility running no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup. But we get you Raymond in Buffalo and Maria in Miami, Jules in Minneapolis and Stan in central Indiana, taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you, with experienced branch staff at over 250 locations so you get the product you're looking for. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.